John Hines in for Chad Hartman on this Wednesday. News Talk 830 WCCO. Joining me on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline, uh, John Rash and Scott Gillespie, both from the Star Tribune editorial board, to talk some some politics and more beyond that. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Thanks for uh, for joining me here on WCCO. How are you? This uh, start with you, John. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Great to connect with you again, John. All right, and, and Scott, let me let me start with you. I hope you are doing well uh, also here. But let me start with a question for you because we've got this this surplus now in the uh, state budget. There's a lot of uh, discussion about uh, the state coffers, I should say. There's a lot of discussion about what should be done with it, calling a special session to figure out how to distribute it um, or perhaps plow it back to the uh, to the individuals who, who paid it in. What are you hearing? What's the sense on the editorial board on that one, Scott? Uh, still, a, John, uh, a coin flip as to whether a special session will actually take place. Uh, Patricia Lopez, who, who covers the Capitol for us, has been talking with uh, folks at the legislature uh, today and yesterday. Uh, there are some talks planned between leaders here yet this week. Uh, so it's not dead, uh, but also not a sure thing that they'll get back together. Uh, we had a commentary this morning by two two legislators, House uh, representatives, uh, uh, and and they point out that the number of uh, federal dollars that uh, we stand to lose out on matching dollars if uh, the state doesn't spend money on infrastructure uh, that is still on the table, uh, uh, possible uh, use of that some of that surplus money. So. You know, there's a lot of money still uh, at play. And then, as you pointed out, the possibility of some tax cuts or rebates. Um, but uh, no guarantee that they're going to that they're going to get together and, and find a way to to reach a consensus. And John Rash, a question uh, this afternoon. There is obviously so much and rightfully so, so much talk about guns and, and, and the gun debate and whether or not anybody can uh, can come together for some sort of consensus because there seems to be just this uh, steadfast no changes uh, idea. What are you hearing, at least in terms of Minnesota politics and politicians getting together? I know so many have been absent during this debate uh, with the standard answer now is not the time um i I don't know when is but give me your take on that if you would john rash well as my colleague scott just said they can't get together to give away money at this point so to get together for a contentious conversation about gun legislation seems even less likely at this point particularly because the republicans seem to sense that they perhaps could be on a cusp not just of a Senate and House legislative takeover, but maybe the governor's office as well in the upcoming election, and that they feel that they won't need to do that. And indeed, the base of the party, the individuals who come to the convention as just one example and nominated Scott Jensen as the gubernatorial candidate, are steadfast against any changes to gun legislation. And in fact, uh, uh, Scott Jensen, when he accepted the nomination, made a specific apology to the delegates of, quote, being on the wrong side of the issue when he had been a little bit more moderate in terms of gun policy when he was a member of the legislature. And so 
the feeling within the party stalwarts is that they don't want to see anything change unless it's a loosening of gun restrictions. The DFLers, of course, feel different, and to some degree that's mirrored nationally as well, although there isn't this long recess that we now have or lack of a special session on the congressional side in Washington. And so President Biden has seemed to take a step back, harken back to his old Senate days when they actually could come together and compromise, see if that works. And if not, I expect to see some form of executive action or some push by the president to try to address this unilaterally if he can't get the Republicans to come along with him. Uh, gentlemen, joined this afternoon here by uh, uh, Scott Gillespie and John Rash, both from the Star Tribune editorial board, uh, talking politics. It seems like there's a bit of um, uh, rancor in the uh, the GOP regarding some of those candidates who have now decided to to join the um, uh, the campaign or to uh, launch their own campaigns in our first congressional district in the state, uh, seemingly to the uh, dismay of the state GOP. Uh, where they have an endorsed candidate, and it's, why don't you just stay on the sidelines and stay out of this? What are your thoughts on that one, if you would, Scott? Well, it is surprising. Uh, you know, you mentioned the 1st Congressional District, uh, but I'd also point out the uh, Attorney General's race where uh, candidate Wardlaw has decided to, who was unsuccessful in a previous bid for the office, has decided after saying that he would abide by the uh, GOP endorsement process, uh, changed his mind and uh, is, is uh, got in the race on uh, the first district. Um, yeah, that's that's a surprising uh, 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 situation where we've got uh, now uh, uh, more candidates uh, in addition to the uh, uh, candidate Pinstead who got the, the uh, GOP endorsement. Um, you know, I... Uh, I don't know what that means exactly, except that there are probably some candidates running to the to the right of him. Uh, and I think John has been following that race. Might have uh, John Rash might have some ideas on that too. Yeah, I was going to so, just ask John if you would like to to respond uh, on that topic. Just the idea of of some additional, especially as you just mentioned, Scott, with the AG uh, seat that is up against Keith Ellison. Uh, statewide, the fact that uh, Wardlow had said that he would abide by the uh, the endorsing convention and now has uh, had a change of heart or a change of philosophy. Well, I think Scott got it quite right in that this has surprised and disappointed party officials because, of course, they want to train their campaign on the Democrats who they're going to run against where they don't have any prime decisive device of primaries um, as opposed to intra-party fights. Particularly in the first district, you had much of the Republican establishment, however much that has changed in the Trump and beyond Trump era, rally around Brad Finstad, who did win the primary, albeit by a very, very narrow margin, but was the preferred candidate of representatives like Tom Emmer and others, you know, who in effect, um, reflect the Republican establishment in this state. Jeremy Munson had not only congratulated and conceded, but had indicated that he was going to go spend more time with his family and sent a tweet out showing a picture of, you know, his daughters, um, you know, boating with him and, and, you know, made it look like he was going to move forward. And he has changed his mind and he is a more polarizing 
more conservative candidate, and Brad Finstad is certainly no one's moderate or liberal, but, you know, it might be likely that he would join the House Freedom Caucus with um, really conservative members of Congress if he is elected. And if he does, you know, prevail in the primary in a two-person, that might make more of an opening, you know, for the DFLers, which this has been one of the very few swing districts in the country. It's where Tim Walls, of course, you know, was a representative mm-hmm. for years following Gil Gutnick, who was a Republican, you know, following Tim Penny, who was a Democrat, and it's been in Republican hands for the last few years until the untimely and tragic death of Jim Hagedorn. So, you know, I think that this is one that the National Party of both on both sides will put their sights on because it does have the ability to go both ways. Yeah, I, I just wonder, is there some concern, whether it's for the attorney general's uh, position uh, in the election upcoming or the first district congressional, first congressional district? Is there a concern amongst the uh, uh, the GOP? I know that uh, the chair, state chair um, Han, I believe, uh, was wishing that this wasn't going on. What's the, what is the concern there, Scott, uh, amongst those who are uh, trying to sort this all out? What is the concern that they would segment or fragment uh, the, the, the electorate? Right. I think fragmenting and then fragmenting the uh, money raising. That's, that's a key part of it, too. Um, you know, the parties love to, to get their uh, endorsed or candidates to go to, to primaries and general elections. They like to get their primary winners unopposed to go to uh, general elections because uh, they can focus on the fundraising for those individual candidates. Um, if the races get um, more complicated with the addition of additional candidates, it just it makes that whole process more uh, more difficult for them and, and uh, uh, can, can sometimes it can sometimes increase voter interest in those races, but it can also uh, split up some of the contributions and some of the fundraising. Gentlemen, if I can, I'd like you to hang on for just uh, hopefully a brief moment here. We'll come back and and chat some more. A couple of things that have been um, talked about by the Star Tribune editorial board, chatting with John Rash and Scott Gillespie, both from the Star Tribune editorial board. When we continue here, it is 147. That's your Lindus Construction time check. Time to see what GAF Asphalt Shingles can do for your curb appeal. And we'll be right back. Welcome back this afternoon, John Hines, uh, in for Chad Hartman. It is 151, chatting with John Rash and Scott Gillespie, both from the Star Tribune editorial board. We are on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker hotline here. Uh, John, let me start with you, if I can, because this is a recent editorial uh, that was shared in Star Tribune. Uh, this is the fact that we're, we're kind of poised here to be in a position to get to um, uh, a much broader use of high-speed Internet, which I think would just improve communication. This is the idea behind it for everyone in this state. Share your thoughts on where we stand with this and what it will take to actually push something like this through. This is an example of when people say, perhaps understandably, government really never does anything. Well, they did something here in that they passed a very significant bill, and as part of it, in the Biden administration here, you know, you have a program that will allow people who, because of challenges to their income and, and other issues, to get high-speed Internet at a much lower price. And it's being rolled out across the country. It's called the Affordable Connectivity Program. 
It's a $14 billion slice, a significant sum of the infrastructure bill that was signed you know, into law last year by President Biden. And a highlight really is a, a subsidy for high-speed Internet access for low-income households. Americans who qualify will get $30 monthly subsidy and 75 if they live um, in Minnesota's many tribal lands is one example for high-speed service. And there are multiple ways to get this. You should look into it through your local cable provider, Comcast, which, of course, is a very significant provider to many Minnesotans, has been a driver of this as well. So this is something that uh, the government is doing quite well because, of course, for so many, the Internet is no longer far beyond a novelty and certainly not a luxury. It's a necessity, especially as so many have had to stay home and study and work because of COVID conditions. Yeah, we see that this is becoming more and more the norm and more and more the acceptable uh, form of participation in, in uh, the working in this country. Uh, interesting to note, too, just at the same time that uh, uh, Congressional Representative Dean Phillips is introducing a bill on recruiting more police, uh, we're hearing uh, announcements from Congressman uh, Stauber about the fact that um, there's not enough being done to recruit police. Do you, do you think, uh, Scott, that one is an answer to the other, or is it just coincidental that these things are coming up at the same time? Um, I think I think it's uh, they're part and parcel. Uh, I I believe that uh, Representatives Phillips and and uh, Stauber are seeing the same things in their districts in terms of uh, difficulties in both retaining and recruiting police officers. Uh, you mentioned uh, Representative Phillips. He, he's focused on uh, diversity in recruiting uh, uh, among the police forces, which many city uh, departments have tried to, to, to focus on for, for a number of years here. Um, and, uh, but, but Representative Stauber, I think, is, is speaking more directly to the uh, just a problem hiring anybody uh, in law enforcement, which we're seeing throughout the state. And law enforcement leaders have been telling us about that for um, certainly for the last couple of years. Uh, you know, there's there's also the demographic issues where you've got an aging workforce. And uh, so you're seeing people retire early. And, of course, law enforcement, very difficult career. Uh, and uh in my opinion, made more difficult by the amount of the number of handguns that are on the on the streets in the hands of uh, people who are dangerous using them. So um, all those things come together to uh, to mean that it's 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 difficult to to get people into law enforcement jobs. Indeed, uh, it's it's one of those things uh, that needs to be discussed and needs to be talked about. Talked about. We'll see where. Um, uh, Congressman Phillips' uh, introduction of his bill goes with all of this. Chatting with John Rash and Scott Gillespie, both from the Star Tribune editorial board here as we are uh, uh, talking politics, playing politics on WCCO Radio. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for joining me for this past half hour here. I do appreciate uh, the time and, and your participation just to bring us up to speed on a couple of stories that are on the minds of uh, many Minnesotans and, and 
and those around the country. One quick thing here, John, if I can get your take on this. Um, uh, hearing from a number of Democrats who stepped out in the state of Georgia, I know this is going beyond Minnesota, to vote against some of those that Trump had been endorsement, former President uh, Trump had been endorsing. Give me your thoughts on that just briefly here. I've got about a half a minute here, John. That it's not an unusual phenomenon for those who are particularly political in how they follow the news and live their lives, and especially because Stacey Abrams was clearly going to be the Democratic nominee for governor. Some of them may have voted for Brian Kemp, who to some degree held the line against the pressure from President Trump to overturn the election results. So this has happened and probably will again as people get closer to the November election. Indeed. A lot to talk about, a lot to digest, and people will be able to hear this online later on. Thank you, gentlemen, both so much for joining me here on WCCO.